Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'll be speaking with Claire McCartan, who is the Group General Manager of Executive and Boards at Davidson Recruitment. And I'm speaking to her, Claire, because... It's a great way of getting some insight from the other side of the table around what's needed in recruitment. And I know lots of people listening to this program are interested in recruitment. So welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Claire. Thank you, Helia. Thanks for having me. Oh, such a pleasure. And I know know you've spoken at one of my breakfasts previously, so I know people are going to get an enormous amount of value from our conversation today. So could you just tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so Helia, I am the mum of two young boys and I work in executive search. So we, I run a team of about 27 across Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. And I basically recruit CEOs, directors and non-executive directors. So um, one of the campaigns we're doing at the moment is uh, a lot of Commonwealth government non-executive director appointments. So we're doing 27 roles for them right now. So just to, to give you a sense of the sort of board work that we do. Wow. Well, I am even more appreciative of you taking the time to speak with us today about this, although hopefully it will actually make your job easier in some ways because people are well prepared in their applications. Absolutely. And I love the work that you do, particularly in supporting women into this space, Helia. It's really important work. Oh, it is so important that we get greater equality and diversity on boards, I think. Yes. We'd have a few less problems in the world if that were the case, quite frankly. Absolutely. So, Claire, just before we get into all of your amazing tips and tricks, I'm wondering if you can tell us about your earliest experience around governance. I first became interested in governance when there was a lot of governance failure in America, actually, in the early 2000s. And I was doing a Masters of Commerce at the time. And I thought, well, best way to, to look at a thesis is to focus on that issue of governance. And so I looked at how many Australian boards are actually assessing the performance of their non-executive directors. And it was 17% only back then. I think 
we'd probably find almost the reverse now where you might have maybe 17% who don't uh, assess their performance yearly. So it's amazing how far we've transitioned in terms of the focus on our most important level, I think, of, of an organisation in that everything flows from the top, culture, strategy, everything. So we can't underestimate the importance of getting the right people on boards, getting diversity on boards, but also regularly assessing the performance. We wouldn't let a CEO's performance go unchecked, so nor should we uh, non-executive directors. How interesting and being able to reflect on how far we've come in terms of that evaluation. I mean, we've had some spectacular examples of where I think if we had had closer assessment, we might have had better outcomes for communities. So... (laughs) Financial Services Royal Commission, anyone? Yes, yeah. So it is, it's great to look at how far we've come. We've still got, I think, a fair way to go in other areas of, of board performance and, and the diversity piece is certainly one of those. Well, the more we know about recruitment and the more prepared we are for that, hopefully that will be part of making a difference. It's not all of it, but it's certainly part of it. Claire, you have sat on the recruiter's side of the table for, actually, do you know how many? Yes, uh, I think it's 17 years. So yeah, I started as a grad. It was one of those roles I thought I'll do two years in executive search and I'll spin out into a generalist role. But I just love what we do in connecting talent with organisations at the pointy end. It's a really privileged role to support people and organisations in achieving greater success. And so you must have been on the other side of the table of probably thousands It would be, it would be thousands of appointments and it's a lovely role in that you can actually see the impact. Organisations sometimes come to you when things are going swimmingly and other times they come to you when things are literally at, we're going to hand the keys back in (laughs) to the landlord and turn the lights off and to be able to appoint the right talent to transition them through to viability or greater success is lots of fun. Is there a board role that you can think of that um, you've been involved in that you're particularly proud of? Can you tell us about one of those? It's probably not one, but I do have a bit of a passion for sectors and I think the public sector and the breadth of communities, public sector supports is always fun. And, and so, you know, I look at community health and the impact community health has in communities and, and supporting disadvantage. I always get a bit excited when you, you can link that direct impact more tightly to outcomes for people who might come from disadvantage. So it's probably sector as opposed to a client. Yeah. So... I'm wondering, you know, in your amazing book of tips and tricks, where's the best place for us to start in terms of advice for people that are applying for board roles? It's a great question because I think often we think, well, that's where we need to transition to. We need to transition ourselves from management to executive to non-executive. And that's that's a great trajectory to aim for. But I think often we do need to step back and really reflect on why do we want to become a non-executive director and reasons that I often hear are just that natural extension of the career others will tell me you know that it's time to give something back to an organization or, or industry that they feel that they have expertise that would be valued or potentially it might open up new networks for that individual 
And very rarely, sometimes it's about topping up the super, you know, <laughs> which is fair enough. If it's not for profit or government boards, it's not going to help you enormously in that regard. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think that's right. It's a bit more vocational in that regard, isn't it? So I think that's a really good place to start is to look at why, your why, your personal why, and then to look at what are the types of organisations that might interest you. So uh, obviously, you could, you know, look at not-for-profits, family businesses, SMEs, government, and then you need to look at listed or unlisted private equity companies, trusts. There's a whole spectrum of organisations and, and spaces that you might consider. I think it's good to focus on what sector of the economy does the organisation operate in and what sector do you feel that you can add the most value to. So one approach for aspiring directors maybe to start with a not-for-profit. Sometimes they are easier to transition just for your first non-executive director gig or a small business as they might be a bit more accommodating of people with less experience at that level. So um, sometimes it's hard to crack your first one. Once you've got your first one on the resume, then it's much easier to transition to a bit more of a portfolio. For that breadth of different organisations, is there, in particular sectors, do you see people looking for a particular skill set or are there some things that are common across the board? It's a really good question. So I think we've, you know, we always start with the skills metrics when we get invited to support a board on a vacancy or a number of vacancies. So we look at who's on the board, what are their skills and experiences, how do they apply those when they're in the boardroom? So sometimes it might be a finance person who actually just has a flair for marketing. So it's it's not just about the qualifications, it's actually about how those skills and experience lived out. And then in order to look at the sector side, you would then benchmark, okay, well, how many represent knowledge and depth within a sector? And I think the sector side shouldn't be underplayed, um, the sector experience. I think some of the failures we have seen is when organisations have gone too far removed from knowledge of sector, because I think it's that ability to ask not just the first question about, you know, okay, well, why is that the reason you're giving me that feedback, Mr. or Mrs. CEO? It's then about the follow-up question that perhaps only comes with actual sector experience. So it's about, I think, building out a bench of direct non-executive directors who actually can articulate that second question. So not all would need to bring the sector experience, but I think it shouldn't be, you shouldn't have sort of 80% who don't have any sector experience in, in my mind. I just think it's a little bit risky. I think it's a balance of both. Sometimes having people from within the sector and having everyone within the sector. A hundred percent. Yeah. You don't want to do that because it, it, you're not bringing in knowledge and it's a bit like executive teams. I think gone are the days where we will be briefed. The person needs to have sector experience. In fact, more and more briefs, I'd say at least 60%, they're wanting to bring in new talent, new ideas, new ways of thinking. So it's absolutely a balance. But I think sometimes organisations can go too far one way or the other. <laughs> so having that balance of sector experience and the different skills that are being looked for. Absolutely. And I think it's important when we're looking at ourselves, when we put ourselves up for these roles, that we really do do that SWOT analysis or the balance sheet of of our own perceived strengths and weaknesses as a potential 
NED. So, and sometimes we might underestimate those. So sometimes it's good to reflect those to a colleague or a mentor and say, well, what do you see as my personal strengths or potential limitations? And then what is the hat that I might be able to wear on any board? Because you will see in most board ads, we're particularly interested in people from technology, marketing or governance or whatever it might be is a particular area that they're lacking or feel they're lacking from that SWOT analysis. Mm. And it might also then be, you know, from doing the SWOT of where your strengths are and where some of the gaps are, an opportunity to fill those gaps before you go out to market potentially as well. Absolutely, exactly. And sometimes, you know, we can skill ourselves up pretty quickly with access to online training or, you know, organisationally. If you're still in executive roles, I think you can quickly have a conversation with the CEO or whoever it might be about the fact that you'd really like some exposure to whatever that gap is and, and often there's ways around that. Speaking about skill development, I have to ask because I'm asked it a lot. The AICD course and having the AICD course, is it a must-have or is it a nice-to-have? What's your view? I'm asked it a lot too. I'd say previously it was seen as as a bit of a nice-to-have. More and more people are expecting to see it. There are a couple of competitors, more sort of one-man band type operations that some have actually been delivering the course. (laughs) (laughs) who have spun off and and doing their own thing, which are content-wise very good, but it has the prestige factor, doesn't it? So I think it's a nice to have if you've got the time. Uh, It's a week, isn't it, Halia, I think? It's a five days of sessions, but then there's exams and assignments. I think if you can do it, it's just another thing, another reason to push you into the yes category rather than the no category, particularly if you don't have experience on a board yet. And do you think some of the other programs like the Governance Institute or Community Directors or whatever that run some of the similar programs, are they just as useful in terms of getting across that? I think they probably are just as useful in all honesty. And, you know, even the content that I've seen you push out for breakfast and things, Helia, I think that's all really valuable and it's great to be able to list on a CV. So, I think any learning is good learning and whether it's, you know, formalised through the accreditation of AICD or, you know, a a less formal, well-structured, more independent program, then fantastic. All right. So somebody's done their kind of analysis of where they're at. They've done their strengths and what their real give to an organisation is and where their gaps might be. And they've had to think about the types of organisations. What's next for them? So the resume development, so really I always get asked, what does the resume need to look like? And it's important to know this is not the same impressive executive resume that you might be putting together. It needs to be much more succinct, short, sharp, concise and easy to read. So I think it will obviously include the key personal data, so contact details, um, which you'd be surprised how often they're missing, and some executive experience. So you put your key achievements in there, specific attributes you feel you bring to the board. You'd obviously put your education and professional memberships and any previous or existing board work. So that can also include community work, so sporting, school committee memberships, that sort of thing. It's all evidence of commitment to well-governed society, isn't it? So I think that's that's really good. And then obviously a covering letter. So like your resume, again, 
make it concise, no more than a page and ideally half a page for the cover letter. Really, it's only there to expand on your specific interest on this particular board, so very much targeted to this organisation. Potentially, you might address what you see as, and you'd need to be well researched in that assessment, what you see as some of the challenges facing the industry that that board operates within. It's an easy way to differentiate the CV. It's not just flicking it through. It's actually I've considered in, let's say, health or let's say FMCG, here are the pressures, the external macro pressures that might be impacting on this industry right now. And I've given consideration to what that might mean for your organisation. And I mean, you will have seen more applications than I have, but I know when I've got the pile of applications, if I'm on a nominations committee or something, you can tell those people that have really thought about this particular board role and tailoring it. And if they're not, in my view, they're very unlikely to get into the yes pile. Absolutely. Even if it's a a stellar resume, if you ring them up and say, well, you've recently applied for this role. And the very first question I always ask is, what's your understanding of some of the sector pressures? And it's interesting to see who's actually done some research and who hasn't. And you do then think, well, has the person got the time to commit themselves to this board if they haven't taken the time to actually do a little research before submitting. It's a really easy way to differentiate yourself. Information is so accessible these days. So quick Google searches, quick, you know, look through your LinkedIn, who's in this sector that I'm connected to and the information's at our fingertips. Okay, so a half to one page cover letter that is well targeted around challenges, a resume that's not your executive resume, but one that is also targeted around your governance. One page, two page, what's your view on resumes? Uh, For non-executive director, ideally one page, but at most two. So my preference is a one pager and a cover note. But if you've got a huge story that you think it just couldn't possibly be on one page, then just no more than two is the, the absolute rule. And then once you've got that, I think it's about looking at how visible you are in the market. So for me, it's then turns to sort of your personal brand. So the resume won't sell you wholly. We'll then do a Google of the individual Google search and we'll, we'll have a look at what do we know of them beyond the resume? And, you know, are they seen as a subject matter expert? Are they speaking at conferences? Are they writing about thought leadership or pushing thought leadership issues into the marketplace? Because you do want board members who are looking broadly at what are the contemporary issues facing their space. And you do want board members that bring a greater value proposition than just a CV that that might be impressive, but you actually want them to be seen as an impressive individual more broadly, I think. So most boards are looking for people who do contribute more widely than their organisation. Interesting. So a Google search on everyone, presumably a look on LinkedIn as well and who they know and who they don't know. So lining up people's LinkedIn profiles as well against their resume. Yeah, so it's also about are they contributing? So are they speaking at things? Are they on conference lists? It's amazing what we can sort of tap into online because you do want a well-networked individual because the more connected someone is, generally the more able to generate ideas they will be and access knowledge that the organisation might benefit from. 
I think it's it's a broader value proposition that the person might bring to the table. Do you look at people's social media, leaving aside LinkedIn, which is a bit more of the professional profile, do you look at social media of people? Yes, often they're locked down. The smart people are, <laughs> uh, are locking down uh, where they can, but it is still amazing what you can find. If it comes up on Google that it's an unlocked account, you'll just have a little quick wander. For the lower level roles, sometimes it, younger kids that are not as savvy on management of privacy issues and things like that. But absolutely, if it comes up on an executive or a director uh, Google search, then we'll have a look. Yeah. It was interesting you said people who are more connected are more likely to have kind of more of those ideas. Is there research around that or is that recruiters knowing good people? Is that, you know, how that works? I guess there probably is research on the topic, but it's not so much about who they're connected to or how many connections the person has. It's it's more about the thought leadership piece. So it's about are they connected to a breadth of individuals? Can they bring in knowledge that might not be obvious immediately because of those connections? So connected to the world. Connected to the world. That's a really good way to describe it, Helia. So you know, it's the breadth of connectivity. I'll often work with CEOs and and they'll say, let me ring such and such and such and such and we'll get the answer. There's a real power in having that access because you're less likely to sort of stumble or to, to try and invent if you can rely on someone else who's been there and, and manage a similar issue. Right. Okay. So they've built or presented their personal brand. They've got their marvellous paperwork in order. What next? It's then about where to look. And we often get asked, well, where do I find these amazing board roles? And and it is very true that only a small proportion are advertised. So my best tip on where to start is to tell your personal networks that you're looking. And it sounds somewhat obvious, but it's not, let me tell you, people don't really think that that's probably their best way to access their next opportunity is through their personal network. So I often say to people, I think you'd be surprised who you might be connected to or who your connections are connected to. And by just telling people, I'm really interested in looking at contributing at the board level and here's what I think I can bring it's amazing that the conversations you know you might need to have 20 of those for one person to actually then refer you an opportunity but it is amazing how your network will work for you that is so true to even executive roles isn't it we see that all the time so don't underestimate the importance of telling people you're interested and using those personal networks reach out regularly, meetings, coffee catch-ups, have a drink just to let people know that that's where you're heading. And people are always willing to help. That's what always amazes me. And something I tell um, new consultants when they're doing business development, people actually just want to help. We actually underestimate the natural human instinct to help others. I had a coffee just this morning with somebody. I'm like, you should catch up with this person. And you can see, she's like, I feel really uncomfortable approaching her. I said, okay, so what would happen if if they came to you and said, I'd love to sit down with you and just talk to you about insert topic? She said, of course I'd be up for it. And I said, and how would you feel? She said, I'd feel really flattered. I said, see, you're doing a community service by asking other people. <laughs> 
prime example, Helia, I think people do really want to help others and we get a really great satisfaction from doing so. So also media, obviously. So some of the roles will be advertised in the the Fin Review or the age or wherever you might be located, the relevant Fairfax publication on a Friday or a Saturday. Less and less are through print media. More and more we are, you know, obviously an online society. So the IICD does have a website under directorship opportunities. Have a look there. There's board directions, women on boards, Leadership Victoria has one as well. There's also for federal and state government appointments, um, I think it's www.boards.dpc.nsw.gov.au. Have a look there. And then really make direct contact with organisations and let them know of your interest. So with the chair or deputy chair, if you're particularly interested in an organisation and you feel you've got something to offer, very often they don't get those approaches. So I'm sure they'd be willing to at least have a coffee with you if your CV looks credible to support that organisation. And then connect with professional recruiters. So I think talk to your network about who manages these roles. Obviously, you know, we do at Davidson Exec and Boards, there's the Corn Ferries, the Russell Reynolds, the Hydricks and Struggles, the Spencer Stewarts, the Egon Zenders, Watermark, the list goes on. There's a few of us. Have a look at at who's managing the roles and just network with those individuals. Recruiters are time poor. I think the sector has a bit of a bad reputation for getting back to candidates. If you think about a recruiter's day, it's often just smashed with interviews. And so, you know, returning calls, emails and so forth, it absolutely should be done. It's not always done in our sector. So find a way to connect in, whether that's, you know, through a mutual connection rather than just coming cold, uh, if you can. Another advantage of using that network that you mentioned at the start, telling everyone, and they may well know people in their recruitment organisations that can do an introduction. Exactly right. So, yes, so there's um, that angle as well in terms of the actual recruitment sector. There is still the old, we've got a vacancy, the chair and the deputy chair will say, well, how are we going to manage it? Who do we know? So that's, again, where, you know, the recruiters may not be involved, but being, you know, in that world of, you know, telling your network, being seen as as a potential candidate, also being on lists, so women on board lists and things like that, they're more and more being tapped into. So, yes, so have a look at all of those angles. Then you've sort of got to start to think about when you do get the call, I guess, Helia. And they get the call, great, can you come in for an interview next Tuesday? Yes. And you're the person on the other side of the table, Claire. What is your advice to people? Because people find interviews quite challenging and, and I think, in my experience, board interviews are a little bit different to your exec interviews. So what, what's your insights and advice? You're absolutely right. Board interviews are quite different to an executive interview. I think they're a a bit more relaxed. They're not as probing on, give me an example of where you've done X, Y and Z. They're a bit more trying to tap into your knowledge of sector, the breadth of experience and, and so forth that you do have. So the sort of the general, what have you done in your career to date? So preparation is always key. So be able to sell yourself based on your understanding of your personal balance sheet that we spoke about earlier, your strengths and weakness analysis and your resume. What are those 
those unique value propositions that you're going to use in the interview. So think about why should they select me for the role? Why are you interested in the role and the organisation? What are those strategic challenges for the organisation and the industry in which it works? What is your approach to being a non-executive director? And even if you haven't been one, just think about maybe the role that you generally tend to play on the executive team because we all come at that from different angles, don't we? So have a think about that and be prepared to ask questions. So make sure they're insightful. Do your research on that organisation and the sector in which it operates. And there might be behavioural type questions asked. I guess it's more about decision-making. So that's what boards do, don't they? They set the strategy and they, they get fed options of directions from the executive and that they have to make the tough calls. So um, you might be asked, describe a situation where you made a significant decision with material impact. How did you come to that decision? What sort of framework do you apply to those tricky decisions and that sort of thing? You might be asked about how you've, gotten a diverse group of stakeholders working together because again that's a really critical tool that a non-executive director needs to bring to the table and you might be asked to tell them about a difficult decision where you've had a different view to your peers and how you've then managed that scenario as well because you don't want group think on boards you do want people to actually put forward their concerns their suggestions And strongly, but equally know that when the decision is made, that that's the decision that we've all made and own it. Yeah, so that's, I guess, some of the the interview sort of questions. You might need to describe also something that didn't go well, what you might have learnt from that. And sometimes we'll ask people about what are the gaps for them as they see them. So how they might then address those gaps and bring themselves up to speed. Some further things just to bear in mind is it will be probably briefer. So don't worry. I've had a lot of clients and candidates walk out after half an hour and say, well, that was really quick. I mustn't have gotten it. And it's actually probably just the initial interview will probably be half an hour because it's not eight behavioural questions. It's different. And they might be interviewing five for one vacancy. So It's also about the chair's availability and time. So I think um, they're the key things. Just remember to have done your research on the organisation and the sector, have read their strategic plan, have read their annual report and get yourself well and truly prepared with what your value proposition is. So many fabulous tips in there, Claire. I can, I just know that this is one of those podcasts that is going to be listened to over and over again as people come up to this process. It is just fantastic. Thanks, Elliot. So we have covered a lot of the process that's starting and just thinking about it and where you should place yourself and what are some of the things you should think about, putting your resume together, uh, putting yourself out there the interview process itself, what are the main things or the key points you want people to take away from today's conversation? Yeah, I think it's about develop the plan. So really assess what success looks like for you in a year or two years and then really review it regularly, develop a bit of a discipline around that plan as well. So it takes work, just like applying for an executive role. It's a bit of a numbers game. It takes work. It takes self-reflection. Really do hold yourself 
a little bit accountable on this plan because it's easy for five years to pass and I did promise myself I was going to get myself on some boards and I haven't really done it. So I developed the plan and the discipline and then I would also advise do it whilst in executive employment. So I think sometimes people say, well, I'll do that at retirement. My tip is actually just like getting your next executive job, it's often easier done within an executive job. Same goes for board roles. And then the only thing I'd say is remember your network, maybe enlist a mentor because mentors are really powerful and, you know, someone who can, you can bounce ideas off, you can bounce your interview preparation off. That's really valuable. Also, the other tip I'd say is know when to say no. We've all been invited to have a look at a board opportunity. I think it's really important to say no when the, the wrong one comes your way and not just be flattered onto a board and then very quickly kind of realise actually this is an organisation that doesn't have the alignment I suspected it did. If I can just jump in there, even if that's a bit down the path, I spoke with a client the other day who had been through all of this process and she was up to the point where she was observing a board meeting. So she was quite a bit down the path. And after observing the board meeting, she politely declined their offer. So if you're, you know, as you say, do the due diligence, find out about it and do not be afraid to say no, no matter when in the process that is. Such a critical thing. And what a fabulous way to really finalise your testing of whether this is the right way is that board observation piece. And and more and more clients actually want that both ways. They want the candidate to buy Mm -hmm. into them by that stage. But if that's not offered, you should absolutely ask for it. So as well as all of the due diligence, the board packs, committee packs, any disclosures might be made. (laughs) So, yes, so and the board charter. I think all of those things are really important in finalising the decision whether you want them. They've made the decision that that they want you or potentially you're getting very much to the pointy end when you're at that stage. And indeed, thinking about it, those sorts of due diligence processes should be in any role, whether they're board roles or not, but I think they're probably almost more important in board roles. Absolutely. I agree with you. And so is there a resource? It might be a book or a TED Talk or something that you'd like to share with the community. Uh, It's a really good question. Um, I think our conversation earlier about tapping into training in this space, AICD, Hallie has got some great programs as well, board directions also similar to yourself, Hallie. I think get yourself trained and knowledgeable in the space is is the tip. And then I think it's, it's just about really always using that network and doing your research. They're the, the key resources, yeah. I think, at your own fingertips, yeah. Oh, thank you, Claire. That, like I say, I just know that this is one of those ones that people will go back to. I, I did a on-air strategy session with somebody recently working through her resume and likewise I can see that that's one that people go back to and I think this will be likewise. Absolute pleasure always talking to you, Helia. So thank you for inviting me. Oh, such a pleasure. And yeah, I know you have a very busy day with all of those interviews and calls coming in. So I appreciate your time greatly. And I know people out there listening do as well. So thank you, Claire. Thanks for being with us on Take On Board. A pleasure. Thanks, Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and engaging with me and our guests. As you know, I do this podcast because I'm passionate about building a community of fabulous women board members. 
which is why I'm super excited to announce my 2020 Board Accelerator program. If you're listening to this in real time, you are the very first to hear about it, as I chose to share it with the Take On Board community first. This is a group program for women who already hold a board role from wherever you are in the world, as the monthly sessions are run via Zoom video conferencing. Board Accelerator is your own personal go-to group of women to share the highs and lows of being a board member. Each month we'll explore a different topic, succession planning, managing the CEO, influence in the boardroom, risk appetite, whatever the group chooses as their topics. And I make sure it's not just a 90-minute session each month, it's a community, a group that really gets to know each other, builds trust and shares resources, insights and wisdom. You've already heard some of the stories from this group's alumni. Sandra Loder, Michelle Shepard, Leonie Morgan and Linda White. So who knows, you can be joining me for a chat on the podcast about your experience in the near future too. So as I said, you are the very first to hear about this program for 2020 and there's limited spots, so get in quick. I would love to welcome you to the group. There's a link in the show notes with more information and how to book. I also encourage you to join the Take On Board Facebook group where you'll find hundreds of women just like you continuing the conversation. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. Thanks for listening and subscribe to stay tuned and hear more next week.